You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross, your host, and this is episode number 205. I'm so excited about today's guest. We met on Clubhouse a number of months ago, and he is an amazing person. So I'm really excited to share him with you, too. His name is Kovis Visser, and with over a decade in executive and personal coaching, motivational speaking, and most importantly, real life in the trenches experience, Kobus Visser has shown how one can change your life around and meet greater heights with the correct methods, training, and guidance. He's an author, a motivational speaker, international trainer, life coach, and the only master firewalk instructor in South Africa. And I find that particularly amazing. I'm dedicating to helping all individuals, be it business leaders, entrepreneurs, or people with disabilities. Disabilities. And Kobus, I know that you were diagnosed with hemophilia as a child and um, what a painful disorder. And so I'm going to, I'm sure that's part of your story. So I'm going to have you share all about that. And then, I mean, Mount Kilimanjaro, there's so much <laughs> rich information here that I just want to stop talking now and let you say hello. <laughs> Welcome. Hello. Thank you, Kirsten. And thank you for the opportunity to share my story. And I'm looking forward to this afternoon spending time with you. And uh, yeah, where do you want me to start today? So um, what I would love is to start with what, you know, which of your many life experiences have motivated you most to make your unique impact in the world? Yeah, if I have to start, Kirsten, I think it all started, you know, if I never had hemophilia and being hemophiliac, you know, that probably wouldn't have changed my life and put me on the path that I am today. So that had a big impact on my life, um, being born with uh, being uh, hemophilia. Now, for those uh, listeners that doesn't know what hemophiliac is, it is someone with a bleeding disorder. It means our blood doesn't clot. And so because of all of the bleedings, you know, your joints, it, it is negative to your joints and joints sort of your calf leaks goes away, your bones sort of disform. You know, so basically, and then you start living in pain, you know, you can get a hit in injury and you can just die because of the bleeding on the brain. And I had actually two bleeding on the brains in my life. So that had a big impact on my life that put me um, on this path that I am today. Um, living with pain 24-7, I like to say I'm like an old diesel motor. It takes me an hour to get out of bed in the morning. You know, I have to oil my uh, uh, joints. Um, I have to warm them up before I can get moving during the day. Now that it's winter in South Africa, it's, it takes a little bit longer uh, than getting up. But, you know, the the turning point for me uh, for in my journey was when my first son was born. Now, before that, I always struggled I couldn't, uh, uh, to moving around, doing stuff. But when my first son was born, I got to the hospital and, uh, you know, I couldn't even pick up my own boy, you know, uh, because I don't have the strength in my elbows. I don't even have muscles. And, um, you know, the doctors actually want to replace my elbows and fuse my ankles. But, you know, at that point I get to the hospital, I can't pick up my son. I can't hold him. I can't cradle him. And the only way I could do is was lying on the ground, uh, uh, on the bed and, uh, you know, the, with my elbows crossed and hold my baby. And then, you know, after a while, the pain would get too much and they will take him away. And, you know, that impact only I realized when he was 
turning four years old and uh, we just found out that we're going to get another um, uh, baby and we didn't know if it's a boy or a girl. And we sat him down and we told him and he went to draw a, a picture and he came back to me and he said, um, on this picture, there's two babies and he has a, a cross over the one baby. He says, Daddy, I don't want a little sister. I want a little brother that can play with me because you can't. Oh. And that touched me at that moment. And then he got to his mom and when he came to me, I had a cross over me and uh, he said, dad, you are dead to me. You know, at four years old, I was dead. And that hit me so hard that, you know, I can't even be a dad to my own son. I couldn't play. For me, it was a big thing um, at that point of time in my life and that had an impact. And that sort of put me on the path that I am today, um, uh, Kirsten. Well, so tell me a little bit more about that because I know you're a real life Superman and I love the uh, the photos that you have on uh, Clubhouse and Instagram. So tell me, so from that starting point, the things that I see that you've accomplished, share a bit because I mean, that story you just told me doesn't give me visions of someone who has climbed the summit to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro <laughs> and the other things that you've done. So tell me the, the process that you've gone through to get to this point. We definitely see your motivation, but I want to hear the journey. Yeah. So the journey started at that time and uh, I was invited to a weekend away and on that retreat, there was fire walking. Now, I've, I thought this was crazy. I'm not going to walk on fire. I'm not going to want to get burned. It's 500 to 600 degrees Celsius, about uh, two, uh, over 1,000 Fahrenheit. And um, I like, this is no way. And that night, you know, going through the whole process, I walked on fire. And it just felt so amazing that I didn't get burned. And, you know, something awakened inside of me. Now, Superman, as part of my journey, comes from when I was born. Um, when I was young, I could never go to school when uh, I couldn't walk. So I would stay at home and my dad would then go rent movies for me. And for some reason, he rented Superman. And, uh, you know, from a childhood side, I connected with Superman. And I started connecting with, you know, the kryptonite would be my hemophilia, you know, stopping me from going. And I would be sometimes Clark Kent, you know, this guy, you know, if you think about Clark Kent, he's the guy that doesn't believe in himself, glasses on, fumbles, you know, not being seen. Um, and I saw myself as that and I was longing. And when I walked over the fire, it was like I was born into this Superman, you know, I felt powerful, felt amazing. And so I went on the path, I actually went to Texas to to study where Tony Robbins and Tiaf Ek um, and all of these great uh, uh, motivational speakers went to train. And I went to train um, firewalking and we did we do walking on broken glass, especially for being a human failure. I remember they were so scared. You know, Kube are you sure you want to walk over broken glass? And that's how my journey started to developing into this uh, persona of being Superman. And on my journey as I did this, I started finding out what is my purpose, my passion, and my purpose was to help give people hope for tomorrow, but also allow them, help them to uh, discover their greatness inside of them. And and it's sort of connected with my journey with Superman. And w the moment it became a reality for me was when I watched the movie Man of Steel and Lois Lane asked Superman, so what does the symbol S mean on your, on your chest? And he looks at it and he says, where I come from, that's the symbol for hope. And that just connected everything. I didn't know it was... You know, that movie just connected because my purpose was to bring hope. 
And suddenly it says, you know, it just brought it all together that I'm on the right path. And, you know, since then, I've always challenged myself to do, because I grew up as hemophilic where my parents would put cotton wool around me. You know, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And I always, uh, be careful. You know, you're going to hurt yourself. And uh, doing all of this activity just proven myself to me that I'm powerful beyond measure. And I wanted to help people uh, discover their power inside of them. But the challenge came. You know, as we go through all of journey in life, you know, sometimes throws us uh, lemons. Uh, 2014, I woke up one morning and I couldn't walk. Now, as a hemophiliac, you know, you get bleedings in your joints and takes, you know, you inject yourself with something called plasma or factor eight. And uh, it usually takes two to three days for the, the healing to start and then you can move around again. But this time, the two to three days became a week, the week became a month, the month became a few months and the few months became a year. And, um, you know, it just put this challenge in front of me. And the doctor said, well, we need to replace your ankles. We need to replace your elbows, you know, just to help with the pain. And the possibility is at that time, for I almost didn't walk for over six months. And, you know, the muscles have started to go backwards and like, because you might not be able to walk again, you know, but at least your pain will be gone. Yeah, and one night I sat and I had to decide, am I going to go for this or not? And then I started replaying my mind, you know, my journey from a young age, all of the tools that I've learned. And at that night, I sat down and uh, I saw a documentary about someone uh, climbing Kilimanjaro, a mountain in Africa. It's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. And um, I saw someone walking Kilimanjaro with crutches. And at that moment, I had this crazy idea. Well, I'm in a wheelchair. I can move around a little bit with crutches. But, you know, those crutches that goes underneath your elbows is like extra legs. And um, I said to myself, mm, maybe I should go climb Kilimanjaro. You know, think about it. You, you're bedridden and then suddenly you're like, yeah. I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro. So tell me what happened next. <laughs> yeah, that, yes, that, that was, well, first and foremost, what happens if you start telling people you want to climb Kilimanjaro, but you're in bed? What do you think they said? You're crazy. <laughs> of course he is. In, and it looks my... like you did it four years later. Yeah, and the fact, yeah, and, and that's the thing I want to tell people is that you know sometimes we have goals and we want them to happen now, but you know some goals happens over a period of time. It's like the Chinese bamboo. There's a story about it that you plant the seed, but it takes five years before it grows and gives you a harvest. You know, and and, and it, I said to people, I'm going to climb, and nobody, you know, everyone looked, said to me and said, Kubis, look at your reality. And one thing that I learned, yes, our reality might be whatever it is in the world at the moment or in your life at the moment. But we can change it. And at that time, I, I, I discovered this amazing quote by a guy, um, you know, Mr. Mahatma Gandhi, that wrote, everything starts with a belief that becomes our thoughts. Our thoughts lead to our words. Our words become our actions. Our actions are habits. Our habits are values. And that ultimately leads to our destiny. We have the power to change our destiny. But we have to change our beliefs about what is possible first. And then with our thoughts and words and our actions, we create it. And um, I decided, hey, and then I'm going to believe that I'm going to climb this mountain. And I, every year at that time, I said, everyone asked me, so when are you climbing? I said, next year. And so next year came and I said, everyone asked, so when are you climbing? I said, next year. And the year after that, they said, Kubis, so when are you climbing? And I said, next year. And they said, no, you, you keep on saying next year. When are you climbing? And that's when I set the date in July 2018 to go climb Kilimanjaro. And it became a whole journey. And I realized on this journey that it was the people that was important that I had to surround myself with. I had to, to push away the people that didn't believe in me, even if it was family, because it brought me down. And I started looking for those who said, 
Kubis, let's help you. I, I, what do you need? How can we make this possible? Let's go climb. That kept me accountable. And just because others believed in me and in my dream, I started believing it more. I started pushing myself more. And then I had the opportunity in 2018 to go climb this mountain. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I wonder, that's probably why I'm connected with Superman. You know, there's constantly these challenges. At the same time, just before Kilimanjaro, my wife couldn't take it through all of the challenges and everything that I went through. Decided, no, she's going to move to her parents. And uh, we went through a divorce at that time. And I'm like, what What next? First is your failure. Next is this. Um, I, I just like, I, I just, I felt overwhelmed at that time. And, uh, you know, my journey for Kilimanjaro was a focus, a dream to help me to focus on when I was in pain. Never thinking at one point that it will become true. But here I am going through a divorce, sitting in front of, I'm going to climb this mountain. Now, one thing that I don't tell a lot of people, you know, I, I'm looking forward to writing it in my book, is that at that point, with all of my tools, now, people can think, you know, positive people don't go through difficult times. And no matter, you can be a motivational speaker, you know, times also eats us, you know. And at that time, I, um, I saw just before the climb, there was someone from South Africa that went, a racing driver, fit as fit can be. And he went to go climb Kilimanjaro. And on the day of the summit, he passed away. Mm. And here I am. I'm going to go climb this mountain with my crutches, hardly being fit at all. And I decided at that moment, so what if I go climb this mountain, right? And I don't have to come back. What will people think? Mm, at least he went to try. At least he went. So it was an easy way out, Kirsten. Wow. I thought, I'm going to go die on the mountain. And at least I did something. I was okay with it. So tell me, there are so many lessons just in you telling your story. I mean, I feel like, um, yeah, your life is rich uh, with motivation and um, and learning tools. It's amazing. Um, tell me, so I, I see how this vision of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro really, you know, became a focus for you. But what I heard you say is you were still on crutches when you went to climb and that you weren't in shape. So did you, um, each of those years that you were saying next year, next year, were you taking action that would help you get to get to the point of being physically able to, uh, to climb or what were you doing? Yeah, no, I definitely, I pushed myself. Look, um, um, a part of the mountain I did without my crutches, but I had them there because the ankles were not 100%. Um, I pushed myself every day. You know, when I started on the journey, I could only walk to the door and back with my crutches. Wow. And so I pushed myself. And then we I, we went to walk every day. I had friends come to me and say, Kovas, let's go for a walk and see how far you could get. And then I would go on a hike, you know, pushing myself, always having friends with me that believed in me. So definitely I pushed myself. And up to a point where I felt I was at the, uh, I was right at the right time. Everything just fall into place. The doors just open. Sponsors came on board. It was like you know it was the right time to go. I had to go at that time to go and learn the lesson. So um, the first day I walked without my crutches, it was quite an easy walk. Uh, the second day it started becoming more difficult, and the third day. So from the third day onwards, uh, most of the time I walked with my crutches. Um, just because of uh, uh, the ankles not feeling it anymore. So that was the tough journey for me. You know, I, I, you can't really prepare for that because if I kept on saying next year, you know, maybe I will get a little bit better and maybe I will get a little bit better, I probably will still be waiting now. And I think that's the one lesson. If you're going to wait for perfection, it never will happen. You know, you're going to keep on pushing and waiting for perfection. And at least is to get to that point uh, when you are ready just to start. And I think that was one big lesson for me to learn on that journey. And I went to do it. Um, 
Oh, I would also love to hear how you, because I know there's going to be lessons in here. Um, I think part of, again, we live in this instant gratification world, you know, so this was not going to happen instantly for you, obviously. And then you had to break it down, I'm sure, in some way. Like, how did you set those interim goals to help you at least starting on the right path to be able to do that, you know, to be able to do that someday? And how did you keep the tenacity going too? Um, yeah, I think that is important. I think, you know, uh, sometimes we get demotivated because it's a long process. There's off days, there's good days, there's bad days. You know, I had this big goal that seemed impossible. But one thing that was important was I had to focus on what I need to do today. I had to create a, a plan. I had to create small habits of waking up, example, I would meditate, I would start journaling, I would start visualizing, you know, small stuff at the, at the time when we start this, you don't see the result. You know, it's, uh, it's like that metaphor of the Chinese women, you don't see any growth, you're watering it, you're doing all of the work, but nothing comes out. And that is, I think, sometimes what is the motivation for people is that we do all of the work and then we sit back and say, where's the results? I'm not seeing it. And then we start giving up because we don't see the results. It's during those times that it's important that even though we don't see it, we still have to believe what we're doing is working because if it has worked for other people, it needs to work for you. If visualization works for others, we need to constantly still applying it, even though we don't see the results in our life at that moment. And that is one lesson that I learned. No matter how tough it goes, no matter how hard it goes, I always tell myself, come back to the basics, do what works. Because if it has worked for others, it will work, no matter what you believe. If someone, if a hundred people says you need to journal because and focus on gratitude, who am I now to say after a week's uh, gratitude journal that it's not working? And I think that was the big lesson for me is to say, it needs to work. It will work because it's a small habit. It's like going to the gym. You don't see the result of that muscle growth in a day. It's only after a few months that you, after doing that habit consistently, you start seeing, wow, look, I'm starting to gain some muscle. I'm starting to look very good. And I think that was one big lesson for me to learn that I, I teach people is to say, just keep on doing. And I think that if uh, Kirsten on the mountain, that was just another confirmation. Because one thing they said is poly poly. That means slow, slow. That means one step at a time. Just focus on giving that next step. They, you know, when we had to look up where we're going on the mountain, the the um, the porters and the, the guides would tell us, no, forget about the top. Focus on just giving that next step. And then we would ask, how far are we? And then they said, we are one step away. <laughs> and then we would tell us how far, how many minutes still. They said, no, just one step away. And just that that was that out of all of that, that is my biggest lesson. I Oh, my gosh. There's so much that you can pull, you know, <laughs> for, for leaders who are working to make their own impact in the world about that. I, I kind of got the, um, I had the, I'm thinking of this analogy because again, we live in this instant gratification world. And like you were saying, like people, they, you know, they're taking the steps and they're saying, well, it's not working for me. It'd be kind of like if you at one moment thought, you know, on year two, well, I haven't climbed the mountain yet. Let me instead focus on swimming the English channel. You know, like you would have had to completely shift gears and maybe you would have done neither right but instead you continued to focus on this one big goal knowing that the small steps that you were taking were getting you closer and you just had to have the patience and the tenacity i think that is the thing is the patience and perseverance and being persistent um you know i think that also the other thing is like you said the swimming of the canal and all of that is that, uh, you know, one thing that I found with all entrepreneurs, or not all of them, it's not generalizing, but most entrepreneurs is that we have this shiny object syndrome. Mm -hmm. 
we start going on the one journey. And, oh, yes, something beautiful coming by. Let me go that way. Or this is a nice car. Let me rather focus on that. Before we know it, we're chasing after every shiny object that we forget what was the first aim goal that we wanted to achieve. And before we know it, after two years, we sit back and like, what have I achieved, you know? It's just because you ran around after every shiny object. And I think that is also important is get that one thing done. You know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger says there's no plan B. There's only plan A, plan A, and plan A. The only difference is, is the time frame that it will be done. Because if it's not done now, it might take another year, but plan A will get done. And I think that was an, another lesson for me in that. Yes. So, uh, wow. So share a little bit about specifically, you, you know, you've definitely uh, shared so many valuable inspirations. Uh, so what is the work that you do with your clients? What transformation do you help them with? Um, I know you do executive coaching, but how do you how do you do what you do, and what's the impact that you make for your clients? Yeah, I think the one thing is um, with my executive clients is I focus more a little bit about the peak performance and overcoming challenges and and problems. Is that you know I'm there to challenge you. You know, like my friends challenged me to achieve. So what I do is I'm there to, I'm more like an accountability partner. I sit down with goals and what you need to apply. And then I'm there constantly uh, keeping you accountable to achieve it. It's, my, it's basically like a coach in the gym, you know, and uh, we've, uh, and the other thing is I start building relationship with my clients. Now, all my clients are my friends, basically, you know, you get married to them. I say to anyone that if you come in, I choose you because I have to marry you. You know, if you don't <laughs> going to apply stuff, I won't be marrying you. You know, I, I'm not willing to take it that far. So for me, it's important to who I work with, but it's to create the environment of performance. It's the same. No matter how impossible the dream is, let's create it. Let's set out the outline you know, because we can't do anything about the past. We need to look at creating new habits, new strategies to achieve what you want. I have this saying, one plus one equals two. Now, two is the result. We can work on how many results we want to and change the result. The result will never change. But the one thing that we need to do is we need to look at what is the strategies you follow that gave you that result. If we change the strategies, the result will automatically change. So we don't have to focus on the past. We don't have to focus on the uh, outcomes that you have achieved up till now. We just look at what is the strategy you have implemented. Let's change the strategy. And then the, the results change. And and, I, and that's what I'm doing. And, and I, I challenge people. I say, you know, you have to do something like climbing a Kilimanjaro. It doesn't have to be Kilimanjaro, but it has to be something that pushes you physically and mentally. You know, that's why I started doing a retreat as well, because for those who don't want to go climb Kilimanjaro, it's a four and a half day retreat where people go through where it's from eight o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. So you go through this journey where you are pushed physically and mentally, because the thing is, then you discover who you really are, that moment that you feel like you can't go anymore, that moment when you are feeling pain, that moment when you are tired and you you want to listen to that little voice to say, I'd rather let go to sleep or no, man, don't do this. Give up. You, you start noticing what little voices are in your head that you are listening to. You know, instead of just going through paperwork and doing exercises, you know, sometimes that don't work. You have to go through an experience. Either it's go hiking a, a small mountain or go for a long walk or going to the gym and push yourself or going for a CrossFit, whatever you need to challenge yourself in your life. You know, some of my clients is to go bungee jumping is a, is a big challenge for them. But the thing is, Kirsten, is I tell everyone is don't do something that it's just a bucket list. We, I do all of these activities as we connect it with something. It becomes a metaphor. Example, I just cut my beard the other day. My beard was part of my identity for five years. Now, I'm growing it back. 
But at that time, my coach said to me, Kervis, you know, you do all of this for your clients. What are you going to do for yourself again? You, you conquered Kilimanjaro. I said, well, one thing that I can't do is I can't cut off my beard because I told everyone I'm not doing it ever. It's part of me. They said, why don't you do it? And I said, ah, oh, there's a lesson in that. And so I connected with certain choices I have to make in my life worth cutting off the beard. I cried. Who cries when you cut off your beard? But it was such a big moment in my life because I connected it with uh, a fear and a challenge I had in my life. And because I could cut my beard, guess what? I could face that challenge and I've overcome that challenge and I could make the right choice. And that is how I challenge the executives to say, let's do something that is going to put you out of your comfort zone, that is going to challenge you, but we're going to connect the dotted lines with some choices and changes that you have to make. And suddenly when you do that, then the choice just becomes so easy to do and implement. That's so great. Um, and, and I'm just the whole time you're talking, I'm visualizing, boy, your clients, um, you know, they can't get away with too many excuses <laughs> with you as their accountability partner. Uh, because, you know, You've lived it. You didn't make the excuses. You made things happen. So uh, there's probably not much that they can get away with, which is a good thing. Yeah. And and if it means cutting off your hair, then that's what you have to do if you want yeah. to have it. Well, I love that, too. It's such a visual of the things that hold us back when we have our identity attached to things that really aren't aren't our identity, but but we think they are. You know that I get that visual of like using this energy to like clench a fist around something when we're just holding too tight to something. So I had a client that grew their business by over a thousand percent and they could never make the right choices to grow their business because, you know, always stuck in that same frame of mind, same, but we've always done it this way. This is not going to work, Quivers. Always challenging me, and he had a height of uh, a fear of heights, right? So I, I challenged him. I believe you can grow your business 10x. He said, Quivers is not possible. I said, Well, let me teach him. And so we went through a process, and I said, You're going to um, skydive. He said, Quivers, there's no way. I said, Yeah, it's not about the skydive. Let's connect it. Uh, you want X, Y, Z, right? It's the same process, the same self-talk as you are, you are doing is what you are doing with yourself for not skydiving. You know, because how we do anything is how we do everything. So we connect the dotted lines, we build it up to, I say, if you can skydive, you can do all of the changes you just set out to. But the same self-talk is stopping you from doing it. And so we got to go and he went to um, tandem skydive and guess what? He came back, he implemented all of that and got the results. Because mm -hmm. suddenly the mind changed. And uh, because he went through all of that, he could challenge those processes that he could conquer that little voice in his head. That's awesome. Yeah. When we let fear stop us, I always get that visual of like just life getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And when someone can bust through a really huge fear, all the other, you know, the fear feels smaller, all those other little fears. So that's yeah. amazing. So share with me and the listeners, um, what amazing words of wisdom and inspiration do you have for others who are working to make their own impact in the world? I think uh, the best is to start with you. Uh, you know, it also, you know, there's this story about um, this little boy during COVID. Um, you know, he can't see his friends. He has to stay at home. It's locked down. And uh, he's bored. He can't play PlayStation. He's, uh, he can't see his friends. He can't play outside. So he goes to his mom and he knocks on her. He says, mom, 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 please play with me. I'm bored. Now, mom is busy with the budgets. He can't, you know, um, see the you know, finances is important. He says, go ask your dad. Dad is busy looking at the newspaper, looking for job opportunities. He goes, Dad, 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 please play with me. Dad says, can't you say I'm reading the newspaper? Go bother your mother. So he goes back to mom. He goes, Mom, Mom, Dad doesn't want to play with me. 
please play with me. And so mom looks over the, uh, across to dad and she sees on the back of the newspaper is the map of the world. And she tears it apart and she gives it to him and says, here's a puzzle, go put it together. And there he runs, little Johnny. You see, for us to start doing something, we need to start on the process before we can help others. We can only give what we have. You know, that is what makes it powerful. So if we don't have the skills, you need to gather the skills first to be able to do that because then you become so much more powerful. So Johnny comes back after a while and he sits and he says, mom, 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 look, I'm finished. Here's the, here's the puzzle. And mom looks at him and says, oh, Johnny, how did you do that? She says, look, mom, it was the most easiest thing in the world. When I turned around the pieces, I saw the face of a person. And when I fixed the person, the world was fixed. And so for me, the, the story behind that is, is you have to fix yourself first before you can go and fix others. And I think that is important is start with yourself. If you're not if you're not willing to go through it, how can you expect your clients to go through it as well? And if you can change you, suddenly the world will change as well. So I hope that answers your question, Kristen. Yes, it does. Thank you. So helpful. And it's true. Like, how can you be confident in helping others move past fears and all of that if you're feeling stuck yourself? So, uh, well, you have definitely lived a life that is inspirational and can uh, help others make big things happen in the world for sure. Thank you so much. I've loved spending time with you. Uh, like I said, we we met on Clubhouse and we're usually in rooms with other people. So it's fun to have this one-on-one -on -one time and I'm super excited to be sharing you with all, with all the listeners today. And so thank you for your time and for the amazing story that is just filled with inspiration. Um, wow. Um, and I'm more, um, you know, I knew I liked you, but wow, I, I wasn't aware of all of this. <laughs> so you're even more amazing than I realized. Thank you. It, 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 you know, like attracts like at the end of the day, you know. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. But uh, please reach out to Kobus. Uh Absolutely. We will have his um, information and links at the show notes for today. And you can find those by going to defeatthedrama.com. Click on the podcast tab and go to episode 205. I will tell you the link, though, in case you can write it down right now. But it's https forward slash forward slash solo dot to forward slash Cobus Visser. And that's C-O-B-U-S-V-I-S-S-E-R. But again, I think it's going to be easier to go to those show notes and click on the link and we'll have some of his social media there as well. So thank you. Thank you, Cobus. Have an amazing rest of your day. And um, thank you for all the work that you do in the world to make a difference because I know you're making a big impact. Thank you, Kirsten. And, you know, I want to leave everyone with this quote that says, I'm not here for a purpose. I'm here for a, um, it says, I'm here for a purpose. And that purpose is to grow into a mountain and not to sink into a grain of sand. Henceforth, I will apply all my efforts to grow into the highest mountain of all. And I will strain my potential until it cries for mercy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, wow. Amazing. Well, thank you, Kovas. All right, guys, uh, get out there and make your own impact. And you know, after hearing this story, no excuses, right? <laughs> so get out there, make your bigger, bolder impact and have an amazing day. Mm -hmm.